0: We need a rebel
1: Welcome to the second hour, the Liberty Hour of Informed Life Radio, brought to you by Informed Choice Washington, out in Washington State. Thank you so much to our our generous donors who give something every month to keep free speech on the air. We are so very grateful. Um, The website is informedchoicewa.org. If you want to jump on over, give us a little something to keep free speech on the air in the greater Puget Sound region, uh, streaming to TV this hour, Rumble, Facebook, Twitter, you know, we're just kind of keeping it alive, fighting the good fight. Um, I've got Bob Reynolds uh, co-hosting again uh, on this hour. Hey, Bob. Good to be here. Good to be here. This is a huge subject. We're talking about measles, of course, um, and it's pretty big. So I want to say again, that the views expressed are not necessarily those of KKNW or CHDTV or Informed Choice Washington. Um, And we're not giving medical or legal advice, just conversation here. Let's bring on Ginger Taylor, who's an amazing mama, been in this a long time to quit fighting.
2: Hey, Ginger. Hello, thank you for the kind words.
1: Oh, wow. I just so appreciate you. And, you know, more and more, you know, we've got like this new community of newly awake to CDC, FDA, fraud, problems, product issues, lies, the whole kit and caboodle. And and they're discovering all this, but we need, those of us who've been in it before, and you were in it way before I was, all of us coming together to learn from each other so that, you know, we don't need to spend the next 10 years learning what we've already learned. Let's, let's bring them up to speed. (laughs) So it's, it's great having you on, um, this uh, both hours here to talk about measles, but because there are two um, two bills in Washington State that have been filed. In the first hour, we touched on it. I'm just going to briefly touch on it again. I encourage people in Washington State to go check out these bills, um, talk about them, contact your legislators, let your thoughts be known. We're bringing them up here on both the Health Hour and the Liberty Hour because um, it's. We really feel like it's probably the first of of first state to try this, um, in particular. So let me go ahead and just store, Where's my share button? There we go. Um, so what is going on? With this bill in particular, there is a bill called, it's, is it House Bill 50, 2157 in the House. So Senate Bill 5982, and what they're doing for the Washington Vaccine Association, which is a nonprofit charity, public-private partnership, and we're gonna do a whole deep dive on this. Bob's gonna come back. We're gonna bring on people been exploring what this whole entity is about because the conflict of interest is insane. Um, in order for them to continue purchasing products that no longer meet the old definition of vaccine, the statutory definition of vaccine that set up this Washington Vaccine Association that buys all pretty much all the vaccines utilized in the state in order to get bulk discount, <clears throat> so they claim, They're changing their definition right now. A vaccine means a preparation of killed or attenuated living microorganisms or fraction thereof that upon administration stimulates immunity that protects against disease. Um, And they're changing the vaccination of the, the name, the definition of vaccine, excuse me. Vaccine means immunization. That's pretty much it. Vaccine means immunization. And then it says approved by the federal drug um, food and drug administration. So there's a there's a lot here, a lot to unpack why they're doing it, what it will allow. But the fact that a vaccine, which is a product, they're trying to make it be defined as an immunization, which is the result of the receipt of a product makes no sense. Um, But it certainly creates this monster huge open door for just about anything to qualify. Um, so that's that's important to know. And then the other one, I'm gonna um, have Bob, have you talk about um, a little bit more here. It's even more important. Let's see, we've got this one, there we
3: go. Well, I find it interesting on that change of definition from vaccine to immunization. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't they change the statute section that labels the Washington Vaccine Association to be the Washington Immunization association. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. No.
1: Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Oops, I'm, I'm sharing the wrong
3: one. Um. And as you're doing that, I'll just keep talking that okay. know, the vaccine is a lightning rod for attention and comes with a bunch of connotations, whether good and bad, uh, mm-hmm. amongst the public. So they hide that now under the definition of biologics in that uh, in that section.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, actually the section of the next bill we're about to talk about, which is about standing orders. Yes. And again, yeah. we're seeing this here. I think in Washington is one of the first times to codify or put in statute language about standing orders and giving that power for standing orders to go across the state in times of non-emergency. Yes. So, and this is, uh, what's the bill number?
1: Um, the bill is uh, 6095.
3: Right. So it's a Senate bill. It's been in committee this week. And Senate Bill 6095 is about standing orders. Um, so just background real quick. During the pandemic, emergency powers were used to create standing orders for COVID vaccines. And they enjoyed that power. That I call it a power, but really it, it creates on a patient's check in with the doctor, it shows up on the screen of, oh, don't forget to administer this. Don't forget to offer this particular product or treatment. And so the standing order idea uh, has existed for years, but it's up to practices or clinics. Uh, Kaiser Permanente will always include that. Uh, I've, I've still said no for like 15 years to Kaiser Permanente's Tdap recommendation for my booster as an adult. Um, so standing orders is...
1: Uh, Bob, how can you be boosted when you've never had a vaccine in your life?
3: That's a good point. <laughs> I think it's a booster.
1: <laughs> He's so, the son of a chiropractor and the grandson of a chiropractor and the great, great grandson of a chiropractor. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah. I, I, was, I was blessed with uh, an alternative view on health, a natural view on health from the get-go. Yes. And and now I can actually speak out about it without losing any of my licenses. <laughs> So maybe there's a reason I'm here. There uh, is
1: a reason that you, you are here. So yeah, so they they wanna give the Secretary of um, Health in Washington state the ability to issue a standing order, a prescription or standing order for any biological product, any device or drug for purposes of controlling and preventing the spread of, mitig- of mitigating or treating any infectious or non-infectious disease or threat to public health, Um, okay. And then they give themselves um, complete immunity from this. It says that it is, uh, where is that? Um, Missing that there, I had it, oh, this, this new section would not co- create a private cause of action, notwithstanding any other provision of law, neither the state nor the secretary nor the secretary's designee shall be liable for any civil or criminal damages or any professional disciplinary action related to the issuance of prescriptions or standing orders pursuant to this section. So that, that's very concerning. Um, and then it also authorizes the Department of Health Employees to acquire, possess, deliver, dispense, and administer a biological product, device, or drug um, pursuant to a prescription or standing order. So, you know, in the first hour, we were really focusing on the word standing order. But, but Bob and Ginger, I think it's important that the word prescription is in here. That's a little, that's a little more specific than just. I'm not quite sure how that could be interpreted. If, if a pres- what would be a prescription versus a standing order?
2: Uh, well, I mean, in the classic sense, and back in the day, vaccines were only supposed to be administered by an attending physician to that specific patient. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we opened it up to, you know, pharm- uh, pharmacies and, and whatnot. And they couldn't do it until, if my memory serves, they couldn't do it unless they had a prescription. Then it became in the purview of, you know, in the parking lot of Sears and, and whatnot. So, you know, what, it, you know, what used to take a prescription in this now, now mm-hmm. could be standing orders for everybody. They can issue a standing order for everybody in the state yeah. um, and get around any ethical dilemmas.
1: And I think pharmacies work under some sort of collaborative agreement with doctors. So it's sort of like a standing order.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so anybody listening to us talk about this, who who knows more and thinks we're kind of really mangling this issue, feel free to contact us and, and tell yes. us this full scoop. So, you know, we're open to learning. Um, I, one of the areas I, I kind of want to focus on is the in the definition area, um, especially the word device because this gives the secretary of health the ability to do a prescription or standing order for any device they he deems necessary and for the department of health to acquire and administer these devices so device is defined as any instrument apparatus or contrivance including their component parts and accessories intended for use in the diagnosis, the cure, the mitigation, treatment, or prevention of disease in human beings or other animals, which I find offensive, or to affect the structure of any function of the body of human beings or other animals. What on earth, Bob and Ginger, does it mean that they can give a standing order and administer a device that affects the structure or function of the body of a human being. Can,
2: can you that, guys think about what the heck that means? That you have given them permission, if you signed in for biologics into a hospital, to be injected with vampire blood that will change your structure of your bones into a bat. Like that applies to that. It's so silly, it's so broad that they can, we can inject you with something to turn you into a werewolf. Um, it's, it's so broad. It really
3: seems like, I guess they feel like they painted themselves into a corner with their vaccine definition that that. plus they're leaving this wide open so that if anything gets invented in the future, any transhumanist, uh, there's a Mm tie-in for you, any transhumanist product to make us bionic, supposedly, or more resilient, supposedly, all in the name of good could be applied. So Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know that forward thinking here. It kind of creeps me out.
2: Right. No, it does. And it's funny because I had gotten into an ethical discussion with a group of, of um, religious leaders um, in 2018. What happened is um, the, the uh, CRISPR babies in China that they had announced that um, they, uh, two babies had been born, that they were genetically engineered babies, um, and they had been, uh, engineered with a gene to prevent HIV. Um, and the entire world was aghast that we have with, that we suddenly had these GMO babies and the human rights problems with it. And the, the, uh, oh gosh, the, the scientists disappeared and China was going to punish him. And in this end of the first week, I think, you know, I, I thought, you know, we're going to hear this outrage. It's going to be gone. And every, within a month, everybody's going to be excited to jump on this technology. Mm -hmm. How can we do this? Like, and I thought, you know, the Rubicon has been crossed. We have genetically engineered humans now, where is this gonna go? And within a year, and you know, they were like, I don't wanna talk about this. And it was like, well, this, the soul of man, right? We are Mm -hmm. created by God or created, influenced by evolution. We have a whole, you know, we've got a whole background in our history. Um, Suddenly, if we can change the genome, what will we become? And this is the beginning of who knows what, right? Pandora's box is open. And I could not have imagined that it was within one year, they would roll out a vaccine that could change people's DNA. Yeah, And it's, it's shocking. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And, and besides that, it, it, uh, so many other things. Um, there's too many people in the state of Washington. We need to control the population, a standing order for vasectomy. that changes the structure of the body. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's just all sorts of things that you can imagine. I mean, the door is so wide open. And um, so it's, it's really a concern. I, 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 we just encourage uh, listeners to look at them closely, figure out what you think it, it means and, and your thoughts on it. And, you know, go talk to who you need to talk to, to um, about this. And then, and then, Bob, you do point out that, like, if this does pass, and Secretary of Health has these orders, and the Department of Health is able to implement these standing orders. Of course, this isn't like a mandate that it has to be done, but it gives them the ability to do it. Um, well, how are they going to really implement that? And there are um, there's legislation out there in many states creating what's called a medical reserve corps, and so you know really building armies of public health servants, as it were. Um, so in Washington, it's HB 1452, and I know I've seen them. Uh, and that passed last
3: year. It passed. It passed. Long, oh, yeah, okay. it passed in a long session last year, Bernadette, just to put All a right. cap on your thought of how will they administer? Well, they've already mm-hmm. recruited, uh, basically practitioners just sign up. There's, also, there's already a national group, as I did, did a little bit of research before the call, Mm -hmm. for our meeting here. There's a national group that's already a National Medical Reserve Corps. And you can now sign up in our state. I think they're still setting up the office for this Reserve Corps. I assume at one point they were going to pay the physicians to join the Department of Health ranks and go around and inject everybody. Mm -hmm. But it looks like it might not be funded for paying them. They must volunteer.
2: All right. And it also kind of yeah. opens up a whole this ethics discussion on um, what's the difference between a physician and a public health official? Um, you know, the thing that I've complained about forever is that, you know, we're taking our little sweet little babies into the pediatrician's office. Um, and we expect that the medical recommendations and actions of the doctor will serve that child. And what we found out is he was making medical decisions based on what was going on with the patients in his waiting room? Well, how do I protect the patients in the waiting room? Measles vaccine may be very wrong for this child, but if I don't give it to them, you know, question mark, baby out there somewhere could get sick. Um, and that's not what I look for in a doctor. I don't look for, I don't, I would go to a public health official if I thought, you know, hey, I, this baby needs to be put in the cog in the system to serve humanity in whatever way that you think. That is drafting them into an army on the war on disease, right? Um, so public health officials and doctors are two different jobs. And yeah. so, you know, we, as as the doctors have been manipulated and recruited into public health officials, um, we have left, right? We've left those doctors because, yeah. they, and, and I, when my son regressed and when we were trying to untie his health things at the very beginning, I kept hearing the phrase, well, some kids are just like that. Well, most kids are this. And, you know, but this is not what I'm seeing. I'm seeing this and this. And so, well, what I've heard is about most people. That are, and I, I know there was this thing in my head. And I'm, I'm like, I don't care what most people, what's going on with this child in yeah. front of you in my lap right now. And I, I stopped being able to hear them because they stopped being able to hear me.
1: Well, you know, I like to quote um, former chief science officer, Kathy Lofi of Washington State Department of Health. In a conversation with me, she said, Bernadette, public health policies set at the population level but vaccination is supposed to be at the personal individual level between you and your doctor it's the doctor who does gives you the information so that you can make an informed consent decision and i said exactly then then how come you're teaching coercive scripts to doctors and trying to get vaccination rates up to 99.999% you know why are you trying to make every individual vaccinated at the population level that doesn't make any sense Mm -hmm. so they're really trying to blur that they you know the the move to take away the doctor's right to doctor the patient sitting before them and you know one thing that they always forget the public health officials when they talk about their vaccinated versus unvaccinated what what about recovered Mm -hmm. so somebody who's had the infection and fully recovered hello they're, they're they've got the strongest herd immunity support so, you know, and it's really kind of interesting to think about it, Ginger and Bob, The an individual in their lifetime, say for measles, you are only contagious to other vulnerable people for maybe four or five days in your entire life, the prodromal phase, and those few days when you have a rash. And once you have the rash, you know you're sick you're isolating yourself. So maybe in the beginning, when you're just a little sniffly and starting to get feverish, and you don't know what it is, you might expose other people. So I do Mm -hmm. believe people, once they're feverish and symptomatic, need to, you know, really be cautious there and not be around vulnerable populations, right? We typically do stay home and not visit people when we have fevers. Um, So there's this very narrow window of time when you're a threat to, and then after that, you recover from the illness, and you've every single illness that's targeted by a vaccine, the natural immunity is far stronger, broader more durable. And the vaccine makers admit that right nothing equates anyway so I did scroll a bit, but I thought it was an important point. Um, we are still on measles and all of this is is leading up to MMR um, measles versus MMR you know looking at both of them but before we begin, I am going to share um, from Carl Canthak. This is one of the wonderful things he did. He's got this great substack that I encourage people to, um, to go look at, and I've lost it here. Um, safer Childhood Vaccines Task Force, question mark. So in, in the 1986 National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act, they were mandated to try to make vaccines safer. Um, and Carl just cracks me up. So he says, the formal legislative title of the 1986 Act is the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act. It was not named the National Parents Imagining, Hallucinating, or Faking Childhood Vaccine Injuries Act. I just—he's so funny. So you know, we do need to keep that in mind. But in the legislation, there was supposed to be a where is it? I'm going to um, a general rule development, a task force. The secretary shall establish a task force on safer childhood vaccines, which shall consist of the director of the National Institutes of Health, the commissioner of the Food and Drug Administration, and the director of the Center for Disease Control. And then it goes on to give more information. Um, I encourage people to go read this. It's Carl Canthak, with a K, Carl with a K, Canthak with a K, on Substack, two Ks, um, and 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 read it in full there because. It's. they never formed that committee that they were required by law to form. And I also want to bring up, but I couldn't find the information. I used to have it years ago. I, I need to find it. But they also formed, they did form, but they never utilized because they were tasked to try to find vulnerable populations to vaccines. Those individuals who are susceptible to vaccine injury subpopulations. They were supposed to find those individuals so they could be screened out of the program, the vaccine program, or maybe put on a different schedule to protect them from the risk of injury. They never did that. They, A couple of years into the program being set up, they changed their mission statement and completely walked away from it. I need to dig all that up. So here we are today, 2024, with the 1986 act in place, shielding manufacturers and doctors, from any damage due to almost all vaccine products, and then we've got the prepack shielding doctors and everybody from the COVID nineteen injections, um, and we have no real good data on anything because the federal government has failed to carry out their duties as they um, were supposed to do, and and that's um, that's a major major problem. I'm going to look at my list of what I wanted to show us next.
2: And let me say, let me score a little bit on that too. One of the head of the main group, um, main culture for vaccine choice for 10 years and dealing with, you know, the, the state saying, um, You know, if you want to know about vaccine injury and you ask them questions, they're like, go talk to CDC. And CDC says, well, we're not actually responsible for the information or the vaccine program. Go talk to your state. And Mm -hmm. if you go to what if you go to the medical board um, and ask who's responsible for educating doctors, they say Maine CDC. If you go to Maine CDC, who's responsible for educating doctors on CDC information and federal government HRSA information, they say go talk to the medical board. So nobody's responsible. Everybody's in charge and can get to do what they want, but nobody's responsible. The buck doesn't yeah. stop anywhere. Um, yeah. And what Maine, Maine even put it, you talk about the 99.9% Maine um, in their work to remove religious exemptions 2019, put out there that their goal was 100% vaccine uptake in, in the state of Maine to which we responded, look, we have a subset that will be harmed. We know this, this is federal policy. This is, this is the law in this country. Mm -hmm. And so what you're saying is whatever question mark percent of people who are, who are at risk for harm, you want to be harmed. Mm -hmm. You want everybody who can be vaccine injured to be vaccine injured and to repeatedly be Well, like, once you're injured, you can't get out. You have to keep going. So they're, they're, these laws just get more and more absurd. Um, Yeah. And And it's not about health.
1: Right. And meanwhile, because it is the official policy of our public health agencies to ignore, um, minimize, hide any risk due to vaccine product in order to sustain confidence in the vaccine program. That's their number one goal. Mm -hmm. it, It, it makes them completely avoid things they could do that people would still choose to get vaccines, mm-hmm. yeah, because it's like, well, if you, well, you know, you're of a certain, but like the Somali community, Gregory Poland has done studies to show that they're extremely susceptible to the rubella portion of the MMR, they probably only need a half a dose. Gregory Poland's on record saying this through his studies. I mean, if so, to personalize the program to delay to a later age, which was the MMR and the whole um, Vaxxed from Cover Up to Catastrophe um, documentary film was about, or ensuring before you give a shot, you make sure that the child has adequate vitamin A and D levels because A and D is not only necessary to fight viral infection, it's necessary to um, be able to withstand the immune provocation of a vaccine. Mm-hmm. So there's so much that could be done to make them safer because, but because they refuse to admit that they're dangerous, they yeah. cause more harm, and it's yeah. it's just appalling. So what I want to um, to share with you all now, though, is um, in the last hour, it, I showed a clip and I failed to um, identify it. It was from the Senate Health Committee hearing on vaccines from. Um, March of two thousand and nineteen I was there. Carl Canthek was there, and Gina Dalpez was there. It was horrible, but i 'm not going to waste a lot of time um, on that we'll We'll come back someday and really cover that particular event. They hit us behind the cameras, made us sit, threatened us. Uh, Six hundred people were lined up to get in. And they kept reducing the numbers of people that they would let in. They started with a couple hundred, then they said two hundred, then they said one hundred, then they said fifty, and ultimately, ten of us, twelve of us, were allowed in the room. Um, so that said, um, there was a few days before in the house a very similar hearing that occurred, and Tony Fauci was there. So I want to play for you um, what happened when one of the congressmen asked him he said I, my constituents well you'll i believe i have it queued up to um possibly what he says but in case we don't he says i'm hearing parents are saying that it caused encephalitis brain swelling in their child the mmr vaccine so i'm going to play this i'm going to
4: at some of the concerns i've i've heard some parents claim that measles vaccine can cause brain inflammation known as encephalitis is that true is that true Brain inflammation, encephalitis. encephalitis. Can measles vaccine cause encephalitis? Uh, the vaccine? The vaccine, no. There's no cases of uh, um,
5: There is. Rare. Um, in, in normal. In, mm-hmm.
1: chair, chair will remind all persons in
2: the audience that manifestation of approval or disapproval of proceedings is in violation of the rules of the House and its committees. The gentleman may proceed. In,
5: in healthy children, MMR vaccine does not cause brain swelling or encephalitis. Right.
4: So if, uh, if a child was unhealthy when their vaccine went?
5: Um, so um, there are rare instances of children with certain very specific underlying problems with their immune system right. and who the vaccine is contraindicated. And one of the reasons it's contraindicated is in that very specific group of children there is a rare risk of right. brain swelling. Would a
4: parent know if their child was in that category
5: before? Certainly were... and that's why a parent should talk to their doctor. Okay,
4: and one more.
1: So I'm going to pause right there. If Nathan can kind of bring us back, I'm not quite sure how to do that. Thank you. Oh, Bob disappeared. Um, so Ginger, your your thoughts? I mean, I don't know
2: if those just audio because they couldn't see. But the- it was a pretty big joke when he said it. I and mean, he has like, rare, rare. Sorry, it's rare. You know that he just had to. Like he doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't. You know, at, at vaccine encephalopathy is on the vaccine package inserts that. Bob is, is... It's on I the vaccine
1: it. federal table of vaccine injuries. Is a in
2: vaccine injury. I pulled it up and highlighted, but, but, you know, to demonstrate, look, he doesn't even know basic safety information. Um, well, she lied and said... Yeah. yeah, she lied and said she was going, you know, oh, yes, no, they, they are screened for this. They would know. Um, my child has a pertussis vaccine encephalopathy that sprung from his encephalitis. There's no... Um, that he was never screened. Uh, it, and she, uh, her last name, they don't screen Yeah, when, after the Hannah polling um, uh, piece came out, she was, you know, she was, um, paid, and, um, it was blowing up all over the news to say, you know, why she had a preexisting mitochondrial, um, problem that mm-hmm. they didn't know about, and they found out after she regressed. So the question from the entire community in 2008 became, um, well, what was that? How frequent is it? And why aren't our children being screened for it? The Atlanta Journal-Constitution and Shoe Chats, I, I can't remember how to pronounce her name correctly um you know she's the one who shows up in her admiral gear at the cdc um yes yes yeah so she um wrote a piece in the ajc that said you know it just would be too expensive we'd have to give you know muscle biopsies and then it was when it was pointed out that no there are soft biomarkers that you can test for to see hey there's a child at risk here they need to be properly medically investigated she said it's just too expensive and I'm like, wait, you know, we've just gotten one vaccine in um, injury case paid $20 million. And my child's is worse. How how much would it be to even or if we're only talking about dollar signs and not human mm-hmm. lives and souls that are, you know, their lives are wrecked and ended by this. It's too expensive. I can I had pay buy- out
1: of cash. I pay out of pocket exactly why not at least allowing parent telling parents of the option of screening and Mm -hmm. the other thing um if you look at the science of of aluminum in the body it impairs mitochondrial function so if if your child has been injected with aluminum on the day of birth hep b at two months four months six months but you know by the time they You know, all of these aluminum, yeah, they may have some mitochondrial impairment going on that could put them over the edge. It's not necessarily just a genetic. There could be the environmental causes of mitochondrial Mm -hmm. impairment.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, So I want to go on, though, with so exactly. The kids are not screened. Nobody is screened. Mm -hmm. Um, before they're given an injection. In fact, they will inject children who have earaches and mild infections because they claim that it's safe to do so. But if you go to the CDC's website and you go to where they say general best practices for vaccination, where they say it's okay to vaccinate a mildly unwell child and you look at their four citations, two of them are very small studies done in Africa where the children are given one vaccine, a single Mises measles vaccine, not an MMR, um, and look to see if they actually mounted an immune response to it. It wasn't even safety study. The other was looking at the convenience of giving MMR in the emergency room. And the other study was, uh, it wasn't even a study. It was a talk somebody gave and you can't even find, um, a transcript or anything of it so they do not they do not back that statement they Mm -hmm. just don't want people to delay because children are sick in childhood they're Mm -hmm. building their immune systems so they don't want every little cold or sniffle to slow down there's so many shots on the schedule now they Mm -hmm. can't slow down to do it when it's absolutely safest so Absolutely appalling that she would say that right, and this is how easy it is. These legislators are just eating it up and trusting it. So, um, Bob, thank you. Bob was holding up the insert to MMR, wasn't it, that showed encephalitis, brain
3: swelling in there? Sorry, I rushed off screen to go grab it. I was gonna yeah. bring it up. but yeah, I mean, if you want to actually read through all the adverse conditions of an MMR, you know, yeah. you might want to think about it, but they do actually give some t- statistics on. On uh, encephalitis and encephalopathy, mm-hmm. and it's in the uh, one in three million, I think it says here.
1: Yeah, and and the it, again, if you go to Physicians for Informed Consent and go to their education tab with all the measles, they give you all the stats on um, on the scary things that can happen if you get a measles infection and you're low in vitamin A or you know whatever, and then they also compare them to the amount. The, the measles vaccine. So all of that data is there fully cited. So I do encourage parents to get that it's part of part of that risk benefit that you need to to look at um, for yourself. And the the thing about vaccine inserts that's very key. I say this a lot but it's it's so important. The FDA requires on these product inserts to include any important adverse reaction reported to them, any serious adverse reaction that has biological plausibility that could be connected to the product, they must include it. But the FDA does not require the product manufacturer to do any studies to see if it actually did cause that reaction. So that leaves parents in this completely gray area They see all these things that are possible that people have reported, but there's no excellent studies to show whether or not they need to be concerned or if it's just Mm -hmm. coincidental or whatever, you know, Um, they don't do the biological studies. They do these epidemiological studies that are easy to manipulate.
2: Um, And they don't do, um, they don't medically investigate the children who are coming in um, because their behavior has changed that they meet the, 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 Mm Vaccine injury Compensation Program um, Mm -hmm. definition of encephalopathy or encephalitis um, because they're not, the way it works is you go, you come back into the doctor and say, my child's not making eye contact anymore, which is Mm -hmm. vaccine encephalopathy. My child is not answering uh, to his name and nothing's familiar to him. In the definition, vaccine encephalopathy, um, there's been a change in, fra- in brain function. Vaccine encephalopathy, mm-hmm. but those doctors have been trained to see loss of eye contact, non-responsiveness as autism. Give them an autism screening, send them to re- behavioral stuff, mm-hmm. and they've never seen the vaccine injury table. So when mom turns around and says, "Yeah, but all this started after his 18 month shots. Could that be related?" They have been trained to say vaccines are not associated with autism. It's, you know. It, to calm the mother, mm-hmm. to pacify her. Um, and the child is never investigated. He's never looked at for brain inflammation. And children have active autoimmune-induced brain inflammation for life mm-hmm. because nobody ever looks because they've been trained not to look. Call it yeah. autism. It's probably genetic. It's mom's fault. Old dad's, blah, blah, blah. You know? Yeah.
1: And, you know, aut- autism is 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 not an actual – it's a list of symptoms.
2: It's right? also some behavioral symptoms. It, I can have my older the- son fake.
1: Right. autism
2: um so it's not you know and it's down the road and even the things that are listed uh, this is fascinating i they had um on the vis form the pertussis vaccine says um under the severe reactions they said that there is a uh, how do they phrase it not decrease it's a lower a lower lowered consciousness which sounds like sleepy right um you know but I'm like, well, what? To, I, give me a definition of this. So I was looking around everywhere. I went to my doctor. I called the CDC because they say, well, hey, if you have any questions, call. So I was on the phone with their phone line, and they didn't know what it meant. They asked the manager. I was on for 20 minutes, and they were searching the building for a definition they couldn't know. I'm like, how do I know my, my child has it? How do I know to get him to emergency room? I went and sat in the lobby of the main CDC for three hours, and just waited for somebody to come down and answer the question for me. They couldn't answer it. They emailed big CDC contacts. And he wrote back, oh, that is um, floppy baby syndrome. That's hypotonia. Now, wow. hypotonia is, is associated with autism. It's considered a comorbid condition. Um, so if all low of a sudden tone. your baby goes, yeah, low um, and, yeah, uh, nobody, yeah, low tone, nobody, no doctor knows what that means. No parent knows what that means. You're not told, look for low tone and all of a sudden your baby's just hanging floppy. Mm-hmm. And that is a sign of vaccine induced right. brain damage. Um, nobody knows they redefine everything they hide everything change e- the definition yeah
1: exactly and there's some if you look in some of the old literature um, about certain things that they they now have disease labels for like they or can like they calling autism and some other things but some of the old literature um, they would say oh that is a manifestation of brain damage that behavior the ADhD or the mm-hmm. um Um, I can't like some learning disorders. They, they always, they related it to at some stage this child has had a brain injury, right? With the inflammation, but then the profitability of just labeling the symptom as a disease that exists, that's genetic. Let's just treat the symptoms and forget about what might have cost it.
2: Right. right? And a couple Um, of years ago, they had a campaign um, about purple babies, mm -hmm. the purple cry. Um, And it's when infants, were crying so hard that they would turn purple and they would mm-hmm. arch their back and scream. And the campaign was to say, look, this is normal. Don't abuse your baby when this happens. Don't throw them across the room. It, and and it was not, a, and everybody said arched back and purple screaming cry is brain inflammation. That is brain damage that you didn't see. You, did, you said, be patient, call your doctor. You didn't say get that baby to an emergency room um, yeah. because it's a classic, you know, brain inflammation, yeah. brain damage response.
1: Yeah, we should probably do a whole episode on just signs of uh, brain injury in your child, especially mm-hmm. the young ones when it's so hard to read. I'm gonna play a little bit more of, I know there was something important here that Fauci went on to say. or so
4: because I had a couple of seconds of oh, with the questions. I don't know. So there's another thing that's that people can self-medicate with vitamin A. To prevent measles and not do the vaccine? is that What's the validity of that, in your opinion? Well, the, the history of vitamin A and measles goes back to some very uh, important, and I think transforming studies that were done years ago in, in sub-Saharan Africa, is that with vitamin A supplements, particularly in vitamin A deficiency, that children who get measles have a much more difficult course. So vitamin A associated with measles can actually protect you against some of the uh, uh, uh Toxic and, and adverse effects Importantly since in a country A developed nation where you really don't have Any issue with vitamin A deficiency That you don't really see that transforming Effect but some really good studies That were done years ago show That vitamin A supplementation Can be very helpful in preventing The complications of measles but it doesn't prevent
1: um, So, you know, just kind of, he acknowledges the vitamin A, but the the logic here, children in the U.S. where measles complications and measles deaths are very, very low, have adequate vitamin A for the most part. And then I did find some studies, don't have time to show them, that anybody who does end up being hospitalized for measles in the United States, when they check their vitamin A levels, they're low. So. You know, just the whole idea that Fauci's and, and all of the public health people, you know, you're pushing these shots. But why aren't you ensuring that people understand the importance of vitamin A rich diet, making sure they get their vitamin D? Fauci never once in all of the COVID nonsense got up and told people vitamin D is the single most important thing that you can do. No, he did. And it-
2: he was forced to in an interview. So he was he was sure. interviewing an actress the oh gosh, the woman on alias, I'm blanking on her name right now, Sydney Bristow, who the uh, Ben Affleck's ex-wife, yeah. whatever. And she he, 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 tell me about the COVID. What should I you know? kinda of and then she asked, I've heard vitamin D is good for COVID. We're taking it. Is that valid? And he said, Well, actually, yes, I'm taking vitamin D as well. So that's a good idea too. And everybody was like, Wow, you put like six, in this in the White House, you know six thousand or
3: ten thousand IUs per day.
2: Yeah, it was yeah, really high high doses. Yeah. Um, can I just comment on the hearing clip as well? Yeah. Um, it, it, uh, Washington is a, a sh- stage a show, um, and the first row behind you know they keep you guys out of the hearing room, but the first row behind the speakers, um, those aren't those aren't professional people; they're actors, right? They're seat fillers. Um, and that clip specifically, the casting call was we need uh, women uh, uh, between 25 and 45 um, to come in a business suit, wear glasses. Um, we need you to have a uh, dark hair pulled back and um, bring something to write on. And if you just look at the women behind him, they all meet the same description. There's not a blonde in there because blondes, you know, they're, they're dumb and there's not an old person there because, you know, you need to have young vital people. It's, it's ridiculous, it is, and it's a yeah. silly show. It um, is very. Next time you're watching hearings, look at the first row. They, they're eternally bored. They're never allowed to smile, um, and they don't. They don't react to the most shocking thing. They just. So anyway, right? Exactly.
3: For research purposes, it may be interesting to take stills of their faces and run them through the nice little AI, free yeah. AI software we have now to do some facial recognition to see what other crisis acting they've been doing. Oh, that's a great idea.
1: (laughs) I love it. Okay, you guys, I wanna play another uh, bit of him talking because again, on the measles front, we want people to be aware as they're doing the research on measles for themselves and their families, the sort of stuff you're going to hear about, you know, when one person get the measles and what it means. And, and in particular, close-knit <laughs> communities. So, Bob, we heard this a lot in Washington State, close-knit communities.
4: If you look at the known outbreaks, so if you take the outbreak in the Williamsburg section of, of Brooklyn, in New York City and in Rockland County, it was a, a relatively closed group who had a rate of vaccination that was below the level of a good herd immunity. A person from Israel understandably came over legally as a visitor into the community, and then you had a massive outbreak in New York. The Somali community in Minnesota, the same thing happened. You had a group there who had a lower rate that went below the cutoff point for herd immunity, some immigrant came in as one of the members of the community, was a relatively closed community, and that's what you have. So I think when you talk about outbreaks, it really transcends some of the demographic issues that you were talking about, about lower income or rural versus...
1: Yeah, that's, that's enough of him there. So what, what I really wanted to point out is individuals who do their research or have their religious reasons or whatever it is, they've made the informed decision to not get a vaccine product. They have chosen to be susceptible. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So when he's saying that these outbreaks are happening in these small isolated clusters of people who have chosen to be susceptible and in Washington State, we have a letter from a pastor who said it's in our community. Everybody respectfully self-isolated. They're letting cousins and friends get, get measles so they get lifelong natural immunity. You know, and then there was some video of a little girl playing Wii. She had measles, so she's playing her video game. And, um, so I think what we need to do is redefine outbreak in these situations. Start calling them natural immunization events. So the news could be, hey, yeah, there's some measles cases, but it's a natural immunization event. There's a cluster of people over here um, that chose not to get the vaccine. So in about two weeks, they're going to have lifelong vigorous immunity. You all are going to be a little jealous, those of you who are vaccinated, because it's going to be stronger than yours, and they're going to be part of the herd to really protect us. So way to go with your natural immunity event. Thank you for self-isolating or something like that. You know what I mean? Uh, Public health could do things in such a positive, wonderful manner, respecting individual choice, um, informed consent, uh, but they choose not to, they, they alarm us. And the amount of money that they spend tracking and tracing all of these self-isolated events <laughs> that are happening is just, Insane. It was millions out in Washington state, wasn't it, Bob, that they spent? It was a huge amount of money to track oh, 72 yeah. cases. It's they they it
3: was $7.4 million spent on this horrible, horrible community that allowed themselves natural immunity.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we're getting down to like the last um, five or minutes or so of the show. And I, I'm not even sure we barely touched on all the great stuff. I wanna see if there's any other the clips that I feel like we should maybe, you know what, here's one, it is not, um, it's not measles, but it's about thimerosal. And so Ginger, you're familiar with Simpsonwood in the year 2000, CDC pulled a secret meeting together and it was CDC, FDA, NIH, um, Merck, all of the vaccine makers at the time to get together in private and talk about their concerns about mercury thimerosal. And when you read the transcript, which is on informedchoicewa.org, look up Simpson Wood, we've got the transcript there. You can see they were very, very alarmed about the damage um, and the harm being seen with mercury. They didn't want to panic the public. So they decided to quietly, slowly withdraw thimerosal from products. So they wouldn't start this this big panic of people not getting vaccinated. And they allowed supplies to run out. But here we have in 2019, um, a question posed about thimerosal. And this was um, the answer.
6: For what you just described. Let me ask a question of of either of you or both of you. The 1999 Public Health Service recommended removing thimerosal mercury containing compound um, my understanding the childhood vaccinations now no longer contain thimerosal except for a select few uh, perhaps the multi-dose flu vaccine did the measles mumps rubella vaccine ever contain mercury or thimerosal i'll need a verbal answer for the clerk
4: no it's preservative free
5: no, and I, you didn't ask this, but I just would also point out that this is an area where we work with FDA very closely, since vaccine safety is their mandate.
6: Was there ever any evidence to suggest that uh, mercury thimerosal was unsafe? I guess that's a better question for the FDA, but you all are experts, subject
4: matter experts. There, there, there's no evidence that it's unsafe.
5: The, vex- the thimerosal was re- removed from vaccines out of an abundance of caution at a time when there wasn't enough evidence. But evidence since then has been very conclusive. Well, I th- so <laughs> did you notice how he
1: very carefully changed his language? And he didn't say that they're safe. He says there's no evidence thimerosal is unsafe.
2: Mm-hmm. But that's not a true statement either. Actually, no, absolutely been- not. If, you know, let me let me share the screen here to um Okay. It's the How to Vaccines Cause Autism website. Oh yeah, and we're we're gonna
1: we're gonna be concluding with this, Ginger. So thank you, because we're getting close to the end here.
2: Yeah, so we you know 2007, I got pissed off one week that that, you know they kept saying that there's no evidence of association between vaccines and autism. I put up a list of 10 studies on my little blog, and I'm like, discussion over, stop saying that. Um, Cut to a million years later, they're still saying it, and I in the list of things that we just you know keep adding to this master list. um, I I built the the witness
1: we can, can you zoom in a little bit make it a little oh, bigger we can't
2: can see it, it. Bigger. it just, um, I don't think I can because it's big for me so I it, it can't get it any bigger um, oh, but, but but so I built this I t- this year I took all this information there's 226 papers I think I'm more than 230 papers now um, you know that you know the AAP says falsely the vaccines are not associated with autism um, and here are papers going back to 1943 that show the association and by you know, here's you know 15 papers on MMR associated with autism. Um, it, the, here's thimerosal and mercury. Um, there's a couple we yeah. have I mean, here there's like 40 papers. Um, What's the 15? name of your website, Ginger. How do vaccines cause autism.org?
1: org. We'll have yeah. you on another time to really thoroughly look at this. Yeah, these autism. are- The lies are re- so ridiculous. Are, are some of these, it, it, you no, know, I haven't looked at these closely. Do you have biological studies as well as epidemiological studies?
2: Oh yeah, yeah. So this is, I mean, it goes into the hard bench science and you mm-hmm. can look it up by, you know, topics of mercury, cadm- cadmium, metalloth- metallothionine, um, you know, MTHFR, C6772, how, um, how autoimmunity is at play in all of these things, how, you know, you can look up, um, I have these groups, you know, IL-6, IL-4, um, if you have interleukin questions, you can follow the chain of evidence on what's going on with lymphocytes in autism and also what do vaccines do to lymphocytes. Mm-hmm. You know, glial cell activation, vaccines cause glial cell activation. These kids have brains full of glio cell activation. Yeah. Um, it, you know, vaccines cause brain inflammation. The, our kids have brain inflammation. It's about hypotonia, yeah. you know, fetal cell lines, All everything we can, you know, Ginger, all you- the way down.
1: You are amazing. You are a gift. The name of that website, one more time. How do vaccines cause autism? Thank you. Org. So, thank you for being on. I hope all of you out there are a little bit more familiar with at least the resources to begin examining measles versus the MMR vaccine. Um, thank you for joining us on the Liberty Hour on Informed Life Radio on 11:50 AM KKNW and streaming to CHD TV. We'll be back next week with more guests. Take care.
0: Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you.
6: Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informchoicewa.org. RG today.